get at, so we'll get right into it. Uh, Shane's always asked me for titles. I'm not big on titles. I just, I never have been. I just like to preach the book and wherever it falls. But they're always wanting titles to put on there, so I gave him one called Swimming Upstream. There's a Christmas message tonight called Swimming Upstream. Because everything has to do with the gospel. And the gospel starts with the birth of Jesus Christ. So this is a Christmas message. Amen. In verse number 15, let's go ahead and start reading there. And we'll just read through the finish of the chapter. Then we'll go back and make comment. Alas, for the day, for the day of the Lord is at hand. And as a destruction from the Almighty shall it come. Is not the meat cut off before our eyes? Yea, joy and gladness from the house of our God. The seed is rotten in their clods. The garners are laid desolate. The barns are broken down for the corn is withered. How do the beasts groan? The, earth, the herds of cattle are perplexed because they have no pasture. Yea, the flocks of sheep are made desolate. O Lord, to thee will I cry, for the fire hath devoured the pastures of the wilderness, and the flame hath burned all the trees of the field. The beasts of the field cry also unto thee, for the rivers of waters are dried up, and the fire hath devoured the pastures of the wilderness. Father, help us tonight as we look at these few verses. But Lord, there's so much there. And help us to look at you and see what you want us to do in our life. Lord, that we might make an impact. But Lord, that you might have your place in our hearts. Bless us now in Jesus' name. Amen. You ever feel like you're swimming upstream? Any of you ever do that when you're a boy or girl? I, no pronouns here. Boy or girl. And you got out there in the river and the river's a flowing. And you get out there and say, I'm going to swim upstream. And man, you start paddling. And you might get about that far upstream before the water starts carrying you back. It's almost, depending on the, the river and, and how, how much water is coming down, it's almost impossible to swim upstream. The only thing that they know of that really does is salmon. And there's a special way they go about that. But, you know, you, here in, in America and in our churches and everything, we, you ever feel like you just can't get ahead? You're just hitting your head against a brick wall, you, like you're fighting a, a losing battle. Well, God has Judah look at what he's done on the earth right before them. And he's going to point out some things, some doctrine, and going to show them how they're, they're, they're trying to swim upstream. And that's what you see Christians, and they're miserable. There's no joy in their life. There's no, no happiness, no gladness there. And you wonder why. They've been eating persimmons, you know. They, 
I think this will tell us a lot, the fact that they're trying to swim upstream. So as God shows Judah what he's doing in the land, he uses nature to do it. Then through the locusts, and now he's going to warn them about the Babylonians that are going to come in and and devastate the land and the people. Uh, He pleads with them. Uh, Week after week, we've been showing you where he's pleading with them to repent. And there's no different uh, in, in this passage as well. Uh, God is so long-suffering. If there's nothing I've learned from this outside of this fact, God is so long-suffering. He has told them, he has told them, he has told them. He sent a locust plague and he's told them and told them again. He sent now a prophet Joel to tell them and warn them. And you would think that they would listen. Do they recognize that God is the one that's doing all of these things? And the answer is no. But as you look around this country and around this world, do you realize that what's going on is not an accident? It is not normal. It is God trying to warn us, trying to warn man. The problem is we have become, remember in the first chapter about verse 2 to 4, I think we talked about the drunkards. They were, they were drunk. They were asleep. And he says you've got to wake out of your drunkenness and everything. We as believers have become so numb and so in, like in a drunken stupor to sin. It's all over in front of us. But it doesn't bother us anymore. I look at my own life and I, as I begin to think these things through and I, and I look back, uh, boy, when, when we got saved, I mean, if somebody even, even looked like they was going to say a bad word, we was ready to stuff a mop down their throat. If somebody, if somebody would turn on a TV show that was, was wicked. If somebody had music that, that wasn't right. You see, you see a woman out there half-dressed naked. And you would blush. And God would pierce our hearts. We don't blush anymore doesn't bother us anymore. We have become like Judah, and we are the best of the best. So as we look at this, God's trying to show Judah something, but he's also trying to show us something as well. They'd become so numb to sin and to wickedness, they didn't even recognize it. I mean, we think of marriage. They, they even changed it today. They changed the dictionary uh, of what a man and a woman is. The perversion all through everything, just the wickedness. And the, the anti-Christian message is coming out in the government and all over, all over. They're, they're, it, it's coming. And we've got to wake up and get out of our drunken stupor and realize what's going on. 
What does God want us to do? He wants us to open our eyes. That's what he was trying to tell Judah. I want you to open your eyes. But then when your eyes are open, and if it takes tragedy, he said, I'm going to do it to open your eyes. But then he says, I want you to repent. And there's just, there's no question there. But there's going to be a startling message as you go through it. You know, it's not necessarily one that you'd normally want to preach on Christmas, but this is what Christmas is all about. Jesus came to save us from all this stuff. So in verse number 15, he says, Alas, for the day, for the day of the Lord is at hand, and as a destruction from the Almighty shall it come. And the thing that must get our attention is the word alas. It's, it's, it's a fearful word. It is, it is one that, that is shocking. He says, alas. In the Septuagint and in the, the Vulgate, it has alas, alas. Alas, showing the, the, the force of it, but showing that God is trying to get them. And the prophet Joel is saying, wake up! Alas, he says, for the day, the day of the Lord is at hand. That fear, that despair, that shock that should be in our hearts. It's, it's like in, the, in the, the, the scriptures where he says, Woe unto me! As Isaiah saw the Lord holy and lifted up, and his train filled the temple, and he says, Woe unto me! When Peter comes in the presence of Jesus, he falls on his face and he says, Woe unto me! In Revelation, he said there's, some woes. And he said, you better pay close attention. Alas, for the day, for the day of the Lord, the devastating judgment, that day of the Lord is prophesied through all the scriptures here, is coming. He said, it's greater than the locust. That's why he said, alas. It's greater than that devastation from the locusts. Joel, I believe, is, is seeing Babylon. He doesn't see what, what we're going to see. He doesn't see what's coming in our future on the top of that other mountain, but he sees what is in front of him, that Babylon, God is going to send Babylon to kill and destroy Judah. Because they're asleep. They're, that sin isn't sin anymore. He says if, if Judah will not repent, this is what gonna, what's going to happen. In fact, he says, look in your verse 15, from the Almighty. God's the one's doing this. People say, oh, no, it's the king of Babylon. Uh, it, it's the Babylonian armies. No, no. It's God. And God testifies to the fact that he's the one 
that is going to do all of this. Oh, he uses nature like the locust. And he uses people like the Babylonian king, like the the Russian king, (laughs) Putin, like ours. He's not in control. God is. And God is putting us in the position that he wants us in. And he's going to bring Christians to task before this is all over. Notice he said, it shall it come. It's certainty. The term is certainty. It will happen. It's still future. It will. It hasn't taken place yet, but it will happen. Look at verse 16. He says, is not the meat cut off from before our eyes, yea, joy and gladness from the house of our God? Notice he says, is not. What he's trying to say here, Joel is recapping what God has already done. And he says, are you not listening? You ever try to talk to your kids? Sometimes. Some of you will, and God bless you. Hope you have children just like you. (laughs) I wouldn't wish that. No. And you're just not getting through. I mean, lights on, nobody's home. You're talking. Their eyes are open. They're looking right at you. I mean, every word you're saying is going right through the door. That's what God's saying. He's saying, I'm pleading. I'm telling you over and over. Are you not listening to me? Judah. Or America. Are we not listening? Christianity is in such a stupor that we're trying, we can't see what's right in front of us. Why? We're swimming upstream. We're trying to fight against everything we say we believe in. We're trying to fight against God. We don't recognize what he's doing. Oh, we know he's at work somewhere. But not right here, not that way. But yet... Let's continue. Up to this point, there's been great rejoicing and celebration at the feast and the days of uh, uh, the offerings and all of this. He says, is not the meat cut off from before our eyes? Yea, joy and gladness from the house of our God. Used to be a great time of celebration, great time of rejoicing. But he said, now there's no offering." There's no celebration, there's no joy, and there is no gladness in my house. Only empty ceremonies and rituals. How many times do I hear, and I always ask about churches when I see them, uh, what's this church over here, where they at, what they stand for, you know, how big are, and they're just, well, this is just a handful of people, just old people, they're dying out. And they're going to be dead in the next year, two years. What are they doing? Going through the rituals. They're just going through the ceremonies. They're dying. This church, not just because my son's pastor, not because I'm a member here, but this church is unique. 
That's why many of you, when you go off on vacation, you say, I can't wait to get back. Why? Because of the church. You, this is a unique church. God, the hand of God is working in this church and in this people. But most churches only go through the motions. Oh, they sing. Oh, they do all kinds of stuff and have programs and all of this. And they're dead as a doornail. You walk in, nobody shakes your hand. They don't care if you're there. If you sit down and, and sometimes we can't even find the pastor or the pastor's wife. Don't even know them. That ought not be. There should be joy. There should be gladness in the house of God. That's why if you get in this church and before you get to the pew, if somebody hadn't shaken your hands about 15 times, you, you're probably backslid. Because I guarantee you they'll shake your hand off. It's unique. But what about Israel? Have you ever thought, what did the Jews do when the veil was rent from top to bottom? Now think about that. Every day they've been coming and they've been sacrificing and they had their lambs and they had their bullocks and they had all these things. And now Jesus is crucified and God rends the temple in half. The curtain. So what did the Jews do? Have you ever asked a Jew why they're not sacrificing bullocks and lambs? You'll find out here in just a second. We've got to keep the main thing, the main thing, and the main thing is souls. Keep your mind on souls. True worship was gone. They were still going, but they had nothing to offer they were cut off from their God. What happened when he rent the, the veil? They were cut off from Jehovah God. Before they could, they could approach. Now, they can't approach that way anymore. They've got to do it God's way. Now, as we, as we go through this quickly, no doubt false religions were mocking them and things like this because they, they couldn't do what they did anymore and their people in false religions mock us. They mock true Christianity. But they've got to realize that without God, we are and have nothing. Without God, we, we have to realize that we are nothing. So the question is, what can we do if we have no access to God? What can the world do when they have no access to God? Because that's what God says is happening here to Judah. They have come to this point they have crossed the line. And God says, you have no more access to me. Period. 
No prayers, no worship, no nothing. See, that sounds pretty severe. That's not our God. Wait a minute. We'll see. Verse 17. He says, the seed is rotten under their clods. The garners are laid desolate. The barns are broken down for the corn is withered. Joel tells them to wake up and look around them. God would not even allow the seed to germinate. It didn't get up and was scorched. It never came up. I sit there in my, my, my chair and I just begin to shake. This is just when Babylon comes. In the tribulation. It is going to be worldwide. So much worse than what's going on here. And he says, there's no food. Now, what are you going to do? Well, and America about went crazy because there wasn't no toilet paper. What are they going to do when there's no food? How are you going to go to work? Where are you going to eat? That puts you right out of a job. That put you truckers out of a job. The entire economy, the entire world stops. You say, oh, it can't be done. They just did it with COVID. And when God says, no more food, he said, I'm cutting it off. The seed is rotten under the clods. The garners are laid desolate. The barns are broken. There's no crops. There's no food. There's no work. There's no life. There's no mal or so much malnutrition. There's death and disease everywhere. And when you go back and study history, that's what happened. Everything God said here took place. Without God and obeying him, we have nothing. And no hope. And that's what he's trying to tell Judah. Over and over, I've, I've taught you, I've warned you, I've preached to you. He says, without me, you have absolutely no hope. And there will come a time, he says, when you've gone this far, you won't have access to me you won't have access to God at all. That's scary. You say, well, no, nah, I'll prove it to you in a minute. Without God, we can do nothing. What we're doing, we're swimming upstream. That's what they were doing. Verse 18. How do the beasts groan? The herds of the cattle are perplexed because they have no pasture. Yea, the flocks of the sheep are made desolate. There's no corn. There's no grass in the pasture. When you have no grass in the pasture, the cattle and even the sheep. Sheep can go about anywhere and eat just about anything but rocks and they try that too. But without food, they die. They are perplexed. The camels, the donkeys, everything is dying. 
no grass, no food, no wine, no oil, no fruit, no sacrifice, no hope. They're they're simply fighting against God. They are swimming upstream, and you're not going to win. Turn to Proverbs chapter 1. I want you to see it. Would God do that? Would God say, you have no access to me. I will not allow, I will not listen to you. Proverbs chapter 1, look in verse number 22. How long? What's he saying? Alas, wake up. He says, how long, ye simple ones, will you love simplicity? And the scorners delight in their scorning, and fools hate knowledge. What's he say? Same thing he said in Joel. Turn you at my reproof. Behold, I will pour out my spirit unto you, and may I will make my words known unto you. He said, look, I'm going to give you my word. I'm going to teach you. I'll show you what to do and how to go and where to go and what to do when you get there. He said, just pay attention to what I'm saying. I'll give you that spirit that will direct you. Because I have called and ye refused. What's he saying? Preacher, preach the message. God spoke to your heart. You stood there. And walked out unchanged. God spoke to your heart. Watching the TV. Boy, yeah, I would get on my knees, but there ain't no need. I'll just. And God speaks to, to, to the hearts of his people. And we resist just the way Judah was resisting. He says what? I've stretched out my hand and no man regarded But ye have said it not all my counsel and would none of my reproof. Also, he says, I will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your fear cometh. When your fear cometh as desolation and destruction cometh as a whirlwind. When distress and anguish cometh upon you, then, circle that word then. There is a time period. There is a deadline. And God says, then shall they call upon me. But what's he say? I will not answer. It is a fearful thing. When you, when you are, are, God is dealing with you about one thing or another, whatever it is. And we resist God. He said, there'll come a time where I will laugh at you. You want to do it your way? Go ahead and do it your way. But you get the consequences of your way and don't expect me to bail you out. It's funny how everybody always, when do they want prayer? When they've got themselves in trouble, they wouldn't listen. Somebody goes out in my church over there and they went out and they did a stupid thing and, and, and caught AIDS. Well, pray for me, Pastor, to get rid of AIDS. I said, no way. 
You're reaping what you sowed. You stuck your nose in God's face and said, I don't care. And you went out and you made a stupid decision. Don't expect God to bail you out of all that. He said, there's coming a time, Judah, that you're crossing that line. And he says, they shall seek me early, but they shall not find me. What are you going to do when you cannot get to God? When God will not open himself to you. When God will literally sit back behind that curtain and laugh. You thought you was so smart. For that they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. They would none of my counsel. They despised all my reproof. Therefore shall they eat the fruit of their own way. You get what you ask for. That's what we're getting in America. As Christians, pastor, just a while back, uh, no, it was quite a while back. <laughs> I think the last elections, whatever. And he stood up and gave the, the illustration of how many Christians, people that profess to be Bible-believing Christians in Ohio voted. And we can put anybody in we want. It's our fault that we got Portman. It's our fault that we get these other guys. It's our fault that we get the judges we, should, we, we didn't vote for. We are not taking our responsibility. And God says we're going to get what we deserve. You ask for it, that's what you get it. All these people that are, have gone woke, well, now the woke's coming back and biting them. And now they don't like woke so much. If they just woke up, amen. Be filled with their own devices for the turning away of the simple shall slay them and the prosperity of fools shall destroy them. But whosoever hearkeneth unto me shall dwell safely and shall be quiet from fear of evil. Without God's wisdom, we are simply swimming upstream. You young people. You're swimming upstream when you disobey mom and dad. They've got more wisdom than you do, believe it or not. They, don't, they make some mistakes, but you listen to them because if not, you're swimming upstream and it will not happen. It will not work. Oh, he'll, you might get what you want, throwing a fit, pity party or something like that and tell mom and dad, get you what you want. But then later on, you'll find out that's what destroyed you. God will let you have what you want, just like Burger King. Verse 19. O Lord, to thee will I cry, for the fire hath devoured the pastures of the wilderness, and the flame hath burned all the trees of the field. My, Joel is the one that leads Judah to repentance. He said, I'll be the first one. I will lead you to repentance. I will cry out to the Lord. The locusts came, he said, like a fire devouring everything. 
That was the manner of the enemies back then as they would conquer a city. They'd just burn the city, ransack everything. It's hard to see right at this point whether Joel is seeing the locusts or what they'd done or what Babylon's going to do, but it terrified him so much that he would fall down before God and cry out to him. Now I want you to think tonight. We've got to wake up. Our nation's being destroyed. Our system of government is being destroyed. Our history and heritage is being destroyed. Our morals are being destroyed. Our education system is being destroyed. Our judicial system is being destroyed. Our churches are being destroyed. Our families are being destroyed. Our economy is being destroyed. Will we wake up? What will it take? If you can't see the hand of God out there, People say, well, if I miss my guess, one of these days God's going to have to judge America. God began judging America a long time ago. And it's building to a crescendo. What will it take for us to wake up? Either we wake up or we start swimming upstream. God wants revival. He wants us to fear him. In verse number 20, it says, The beast of the field cry also unto thee, for the rivers of waters are dried up, and the fire hath devoured the pastures of the wilderness. When we word that, we think of an animal crying out to God. The word cry is the word pant. It's only used three times in the Bible. Twice it's used in Psalm 42 and verse 1. As the heart panteth after the water brooks, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. it's, It's a consuming, longing desire. I have to have this. You can see that, that, that heart or that little deer out there and his tongue is just hanging out and a panting. Because I have to have water or I'm going to die. And that's what's going all all along there. The fields, the beasts, everything. And he says, that's how we've got to be. We have to desire God so much that it does not take second place or third place or put it on the back burner. That takes place before everything, before school, before work, before family, before fun. I am going to have my time. I am going to meet with my God in a heart and an attitude of repentance that that he might get the glory, that consuming, deep, longing passion for God and God's forgiveness. It may be that God had sent a drought. It seems like it along with the locusts. Uh, We're not told that, but that's what it seems. What you have here is, is causation. It's the domino effect. 
You have that in the book of Revelation. If you understand the, the causation thing, one thing leads to another. He said the Antichrist comes on a white horse, conquering and to conquer. That's his purpose. What happens when you start having wars? You start having famine because you're not gonna you're not gonna be out there plowing the crops. That's what's happening over in in, in uh, not Uganda. Where is it? Ukraine. And it's causing famine not just there, but other places as well because they can't get out in the fields when the bombs are coming down. It's hard to plow. You know, things like this that cause and effect. The locusts come, the fires come, the drought comes, the thirst, the death, the disease, all of it builds on top of one the other. They have no water. They have no food and no access to God. There's absolutely no hope for them. None. If they don't turn to God and repent, like Joel is preaching, God is saying, handwriting's on the wall, buddy. The hammer's down. And I'll not listen to you. I'll not bless you. I will mock you. We forget who God is. He's not some little Sunday school boy. Is a holy, righteous God that demands that we fear him and that we love him at the same time. What's it going to take to get our attention? What will it take to bring me closer to God? Many times we hear testimonies and people say, well, uh, so-and-so in my family died or, or, or my my husband or my wife or my son or my daughter or my grandma or grandpa or somebody that's close to him and, and they died and that brought me back to the Lord. Why don't we get just come back to the Lord now? That's what he's saying. He said, all that's going to come. He said, if you'll just come to me right now, religious people need to get saved. And we all need revival every one of us we've seen or what we've seen here in chapter one as we finish is just a precursor the locusts and the invasion of babylon are just a precursor of what's coming in the day of the lord and it's right down the road and we'll talk about that. But when we get into chapter 2, we'll, we'll get to the actual day of the Lord. It's, it's still future. You say, how do I know that that's future and it hasn't happened? Because of what he says, what Peter says in Acts chapter 2 in verse 19. And he says, I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness, the moon into blood before that great and notable day of the Lord come. He said, all that's going to happen. And Peter said that was future. All Joel saw was Babylon. But God 
when he had him write it down, was looking at the end. The next meeting, we will go through that. But are we ready? Are we ready to meet God? I mean, stop and think. If, if, if he was coming right now today and he walked in here, what would we do? What would we do with our sin? How would we cover that up? You can't go in and delete your phone. You can't go to your computer at home and delete that real quick. You, you stand before Almighty God. Are we ready? Do we need to repent? Do I need revival? Will God listen to me when I cry out? You and I don't choose, and we don't tell God what to do and when to do it. God is the one that chooses the time and the place, and we, our job is to be ready. Are you ready tonight? If not, why don't you come and get ready? Pour your heart out to a holy God. That's what he said. Cry out to me. Father, have your way in each heart, in each life that's represented here tonight. From the young people, help them to realize that many of the great missionaries and preachers were even preaching at their young age. And Lord, they have a great responsibility to serve you. And Lord, us older ones, God, you're not done with us. We still have a job to do. There's still souls that are lost, and we need to bring them to Jesus Christ. Help us to have, have a soul consciousness that we might be a witness and a testimony to bring people to Jesus Christ before it's too late. Help us to fill this building and run it over for your honor and your glory. I don't know your heart tonight. Only you and God does. But would you like to just come as the pianist just begins to play? Maybe you'd just like to get on your knees before God. Why don't you come? God says now is the time. Now is the day. 